You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. Over the last decade of my career, I have found there is a subset of skills that can be a multiplier for your career growth. One of those super skills is effective communication. I've seen those that possess this skill take off, leading projects, presenting at important meetings, and getting promotions. Being an average communicator versus an effective communicator can be a really subtle difference. Sometimes it's a word choice, the framing of a conversation, or the preparation done beforehand. If you work towards mastering the nuance of this skill, you are going to be the person that people turn to in important situations. Brennan Kumasari, a friend of the show, is back to discuss this nuance and give you a framework that you can use today to level up communication at work. We talk about team meetings, presentations, one-on-one connections, and I hammered him with questions. And honestly, he fired back with a ton of really good tactical advice. This guy really knows his stuff. Britton's background includes coaching ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to be more effective communicators. He's also the founder of the popular YouTube channel, Master Talk, with the goal of providing free access to communication skills for everyone in the world. And man, this guy really means that. Like he is out there to make sure that everybody that wants to be an effective communicator is going to be an effective communicator. Brennan is really making an impact on this space, and I feel really blessed that he came back on and is spending some time with you and I to level up our communication. All right, this is the time in my intro that I ask you to please leave a rating and review. I only have a couple more episodes. I'm going to bother you about it. We are closing in on episode 100 and working to get 100 Apple podcast reviews before the 100th episode. So whatever platform, whatever podcast player you're on right now, if you could just pause, take a second to leave us a rating review, that would be a huge appreciation from me. It really helps new listeners find the show. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the former accounting major, Justin Bieber fanatic, and Mr. Master Talk himself, Brennan Kumasari. Well, dude, I am pumped for this conversation. We were chatting a little bit before we actually pressed record here. You're going to be, I think, the third person I've had on as a repeat guest. And this is definitely going to be the biggest delta in between our first episode, which was episode 16, and now this episode, which will come out somewhere between 90 and 100. So there's like 80 to 100 interviews in between this. And I know just personally, on my end, I become a much better host, I was listening to our initial conversation and the content was there, but all of the little things that you notice now after doing a hundred plus interviews, you're like, oh, okay. We were kind of missing that. I could tell we were both just, just newbies at this, but excited to take a round two at this. We could talk about a whole lot of things ranging from clean drinking water to Justin Bieber lyrics, but <laughs> we are going to stay on your zone of genius, which is communication, specifically verbal communication at work. And there are like tons of studies out there that show the importance of effective communication at work from like 
increasing employee engagement to helping with productivity to boosting collaboration. But why you should care, and not you as in Brennan, but you as in the person that's listening right now should care is because I still think this is an underrated skill that really separates the average Joes and Jans at work from those that can establish executive presence. So I, I think if you are an effective communicator in multiple arenas of work, presentations, team meetings, one-on-one connects, people will see you as a leader and reward you as such. I think it is such a good amplifier skill that is worth heavily investing early on in your career. So Brennan, I'll set the stage with various scenarios and then I'll probably ask you for your expert opinion. I'm sure we'll start more mindset and then get really tactical because I know you are all about the tactical as well. So with that in mind, let's start with team meetings. Let's just assume kind of small to mid-sized group meetings. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to speak with confidence, maybe not even wants to speak with confidence, even wants to get the confidence to speak up during a team meeting? What advice would you give them? Absolutely, Justin. It's great to be on the show, by the way. So there's three main questions that we need to think about whenever we're tackling team meetings. The first one is, what is the goal of the meeting? The second piece is, what is the contribution of that meeting? And the third piece is, how do I convey my ideas in a way that inspires and adds value to the audiences that I'm speaking to? Here's the biggest mistake that most people make, especially when they're getting started in their careers, is they don't think tactically about what are the two to three meetings every week, Justin, that will actually move the needle in my career. Let me give you an example. Let's say it's Sunday evening and we're getting ready for the week and we're looking at every single one of those meetings on our calendar. The first step is to go, what is the goal of all these meetings? And what you'll find out really quickly, Justin, it's probably 20% of them at minimum serve no goal. There's no purpose. You just got to be there for politics. Fair enough. And then when you get older in your career, you can just cut them out. You don't have to be in those meetings as you become more senior. But when you're in your 20s, you kind of just have to attend the meeting. The second piece is then figuring out what's my contribution in this meeting. This is a very important question, Justin, because it helps us think about out of these 70 meetings this week, out of these 50 meetings, where do I play the most important role? What are the meetings where I could just sit there, do nothing, and I'd still get points for being in the meeting, like a town hall where I'm just listening and I don't have to do anything? versus the meetings where, hey, Justin, I actually need you to lead this. I need you to lead this conversation. We have a big client coming in, and it's a great opportunity for your career. So understanding the contribution is important. But the third question is priority. Priority means you look at those ones where you're contributing the most, and you just go, because you can't prepare for all of them. You never have time to prepare for all of them. So for you, it's about saying, out of all of those meetings, what are my top three? Let me give some examples of where, what would categorize the top three. One is a promotional case study. You're up for promotion and the hiring manager or your executive, your mentor, your sponsor wants to meet you to assess your goals. Where do you see yourself? How do you want to prepare for this? That happens a lot in corporate. That's like a red. That's like a really important meeting you got to prepare for. Another one is if you're getting placed in front of a massive client or if you're leading a sales conversation for a big client as well, or you're supporting a big sales account. So those are examples of meetings where you want to prepare 10 times more. So you weaved in there too that an important aspect is conveying ideas, like being able to actually convey those ideas. And I find myself sometimes doing this. I ramble. And then you can see most of my meetings are virtual. I I, I work from home and I'm in a virtual capacity. But 
you can see eyes drop down probably to phones or people are staring off screen at another screen looking at email. How do you convey your ideas with clarity and also maybe have a little bit of conversation about information overload too? Because I think sometimes that's where I get into to problems. Absolutely, Justin. So there's two parts to that conversation. One is more, what do you do in general to build the muscle of communication? I'll probably tackle later in this interview. And the second piece is how do we create a quick fix for ourselves to bring that clarity in our day-to-day team meetings? So the way that I think about it, here's a simple analogy for people. Employees speak in circles and executives speak in pyramids. What does that mean, Justin? So let's say there's an executive, we're in a meeting together at the company, and somebody goes, hey, Brendan, what's your update for this week? Like any, any questions for me, anything I can help you with? Employees usually respond in circles, meaning, you know, Justin, actually, so I, I talked to the tech team and they told me this, and then I went to the business team and I got this from them. And so notice how we're speaking in circles, whereas the executive just go get to the point, like, what do I need to know? Do you need my help with anything? So this is what most of us make the mistake of doing. So what do executives do differently? They speak in pyramids, meaning execs ask us again, hey, Brendan, Justin, what's the update for this meeting this week? What do you need from me? Okay, Mr. or Mrs. Executive, here's my impact. Here's the biggest takeaway. Everything's going great, but I need help with such and such. And these are the three impacts that will happen if we don't fix this by the end of the week. And this is the outcome, the positive idea, the positive point, if we solve this quickly. Do you have any questions or follow-ups on what the points that I just mentioned? And then you stop. So then what happens is the executive goes, okay, I agree with point one, two. Can you just elaborate on three? Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Do you need anything else? We're good, Brendan. Thanks. So notice how that went really quickly and efficiently. Let me repeat that again. So pyramid means start with what is your key conclusion, the top of the pyramid. Then the base of the pyramid is What are the impacts if we don't solve for this problem? Or if we do, what are the positive impacts if we actually create a solution for this? And then the base, the bottom of that is just like a bonus whenever possible is what is the vision? Like if we accomplish this this week, what does that look like for a bottom line in our company? So that's the way that I train people to speak. Mm. Yeah, I love the pyramid versus circle. I totally see that now. Can you apply that same framework for selling your idea as well? Because I see this as, Another opportunity with inside group meetings is sometimes you need to go and advocate for a project or an idea so that you can go get more resources, time, energy, et cetera. So same concept with selling your idea or do you have a different framework for that? Absolutely. So there's always nuances in communication. Sure. But you're absolutely on the money there, Justin, where this same framework, it's actually easier to apply when you're selling an idea because all it changes to is here's my idea at the top. Here are the three reasons why we should be doing this idea. And this is the key impact of this. And I actually used that when I was in my corporate career, my past life, for those who don't know, I was a technology consultant at IBM. And one of the recommendations I gave to, the, to literally the executive team was how do we improve the leadership program, the two-year leadership program, so that we can improve retention rate of staff and create better outcomes for people who are going to be executives in the company five to 10 years later. And I said, these are the three main pieces that we need to fix. Here's why, and here's how to do it. And the executives are really happy with that. But notice how, this is the point I want to drive, that I feel a lot of people who are entry level don't get, Justin, is a lot of us have a fear around that. We go, oh my God, like, why would people listen to my ideas? Why would people care about what I have to say? 
Whereas for me, the perspective has always been now that now that I trained a lot of executives, there's a lot of things that we know as a younger population that the older generation does not know, does not have exposure to. So let me give you an example. If I'm a 24-year-old doing a two-year leadership program, I know more about how to fix that leadership program than an executive who's managing five to six other accounts or products or services. So that's the other piece as well. Yeah, and on top of that, you probably went through that leadership program. So you just know you have firsthand experience. (laughs) I think they're looking for your opinion in this, are they not? 1,000%. And now the other piece is just making sure you're structuring those ideas like an executive. So I'll give you another personal example. So when it was feedback call and, and, you know, the executive sponsor of the leadership pro wanted to have a one-on-one with everybody, I was the only one, Justin. And it's not that hard. That's why I always like to say, people can write this down. If you communicate 20% better than your competition, you will stand out 100% of the Mm -hmm. time. So what this means is it's not about implementing everything in today's conversation. It's about realizing that, wait a second, if I just implement three things from what Justin or Brendan talked about today, I will be far ahead of most people. What does that look like during my time when I was working at the company? I was the only person in that leadership program who had already pre-written an email with all of my recommendations prior to the call. So I literally got on the call with the executive and he said, what do you like about working here and what can we do better? But when he asked me that question, I didn't go, oh, you know, let me think about it. No, I already came in with my, my big three ideas, my three key areas of impact. This is the outcome. And then he's like, wow, this is so good. I'm taking notes. And I literally interrupted and I said, sir, you don't need it. I actually didn't call him, sir. You don't need to take any notes. I actually already have an email ready for you. So you can just listen to the conversation. And you just went, wow. Sick. This person's really impressive. And that's all it takes to stand out. Mm. What I'm hearing is preparation is almost half the battle in communication. For sure. But the, the other piece that I'll add, yes, and preparing for the right meetings. Yeah. So that week, you know, because I'm giving the illusion that, which is false, that, oh, Brendan prepares that way for all of his 50 meetings that week. And the answer is no. The other 49 meetings that week, I had no idea what was going on. I was just trying to make, <laughs> but literally, but that one meeting, I put all of my energy into. Because remember, it's, this is going back to the earlier point, Justin. Most of us as early entry employees at companies, we don't think about what are the three meetings that moves the needle for our career, for our career. So for me, I know out of those 50 meetings, yeah, sure, I have some client works to do, all that stuff. And I might mess it up, but they'll forgive me because I'm early and I'll make mistakes. But that one meeting, if I ace, the executive is going to say, this person's going to be an exec in the company in three years. I better spend more time grooming this person than everyone else. So that's why it's important for your goals within the company to prioritize the stuff that moves the needle selfishly for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the people that just prepare in general, it could be for a job interview, it could be for a meeting that they're leading, it could be for a project conversation. It is just, it's like one in a thousand nowadays. There are so many meetings that I would maybe prioritize as those top three meetings, but I know the person that's leading it just does not have their shit together. And there is going to be a whole lot of circular conversation for the first two thirds of this meeting while we scramble the back third to actually figure out why did we come together today? What were we supposed to discuss and decide on? And what are the key action items or takeaways that everybody needs to to leave this meeting with? Where the best meeting organizers already have that pre-thought out and are guiding that conversation right from the get-go. 
I mean, so well said, so well said. Like there's a, there's a very big difference and let's play a little game here for people listening to this. There's a difference between leader A and leader B when both leaders say the same information. Example, leader A sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, hi everyone. Uh, good to see you. Uh, today we're going to cover these three objectives and uh, if you have any questions, just DM me at my cell. That's leader A. Leader B sounds something more like, Hi, everyone. It's great to see everyone. I see Justin is here. I see Linda is here. Julie, it's great to be here. Today, we're going to be covering three key objectives. And if you have any questions whatsoever, you're welcome to send me a quick text at my phone or a quick email. It's the same information. But notice how Leader B is conveying those same ideas in a way that people want to work for them. Yeah, I also pulled out one other thing, just calling people out by name, which I think we can get into a little bit more in the presentation section. But one more question on team meetings. What about cross-functional department meetings as well. I see this can be a really tricky area, A, because of information overload, but just because of this thing that I hear you reference a lot, communication is contextual. So can you explain best practices around cross-functional department meetings? Absolutely. So the key to mastering, great question, by the way, the key to mastering contextual communication between departments, because it's a little bit more advanced, is you really need to focus, because it takes a lot more prep to master those, on the meaning that's going to move the needle for your career and the company. So usually when we're working at a 10 out of 10 meeting for that specific context, it's usually an initiative that you need other organizations to drive with you. Like it's a big project, a big client that you're all working on. Change management is another big piece around that. So how would you do this? The ideal way to approach this is you win the presentation before the presentation begins. Meaning, you create a mind map of the organizations, a tiny mind map, just to see who are the key decision makers across those different departments. So one example that I get C-suite clients to do is let's say they're a CFO, they'll go to three different departments and go, this is my director, this is my VP, this is my director. But even if you're getting started in your career, you can practice the muscle around them. And then what you do, to keep things really simple, there's so many layers to this, and I could make the whole conversation just about this, but that'll be way too complicated, is you just ask one simple question to every single one of those decision makers. You have dinner with them, you meet them for 30 minutes for coffee, and you just go, Justin, what are your priorities this year? What's important to you? That's the big piece. And then you listen not just to their answers, but the specific language that they're using. Example, a finance department will say, hey, you know, our, our revenue quotas are not being met right now. We're struggling with X, Y, Z. And I don't know how we can spend more money on a new initiative, Brendan. This makes no sense. You're listening. Why is that important? Boom, boom, boom. So that's one. Then the technology department goes, you know, Brendan, I don't know how this is technologically feasible. If you look at the current tech stack within the company, I don't see how your solution is going to drive that outcome. Example. Third person, people operations. You know, I don't see how we're bringing the people into this, Brendan. This, this solution seems too rigid. It seems too numbers driven. So I'll take all of that information and then I'll go back into my, let's say I'm the, I'm the guy who's trying to get buy-in for this initiative. So when I give this big presentation, I'm going to purposefully include the languages of all of these different departments. Mm-hmm. So I'll say something like this. You know, for us, we're really excited to present this new project. And I've had the opportunity to discuss with so many incredible members of the exec team and the decision makers across the departments. Let's start with Linda from the finance team. You know, Linda brought up a great point about how money is a little bit tighter this year. But 
What I'll add is what's great about this strategy that I was telling Linda the other day is you can actually save 30% more money by doing X, Y, Z. Linda's happy. And then the next piece, you know, me and Julia had a great conversation around people operations, how we're not including enough people. So what I did is me and Julia are partnering together to bring two or three more people and resources in that department so that we can bring a more human touch to this strategy. Obviously, I'm making all this up on the spot. I love the, it, man. You're, you're crushing it right now. <laughs> also, and then the third piece is the tech. You know, George really brought up a great point during one of our coffee conversation. And George is sitting right there. He's like, yeah, we, I did bring up a great point. And there's two ways you can approach this, right? You can have them bring up the point if it's more casual. But if it's more of a formal pitch to the board or the exec team, you'll just say, this is what we said, George. And then say, but what's great about this solution is we can implement 20% of it right now and the technology is still feasible right now. And then George goes, yeah, exactly. Because that's what I told Brendan. So what I'm doing here in cross-functional is I'm bringing pockets of information for everyone so your, your wall is completely solid. But the caveat that I'll end this little rant with, this little monologue with rather, is that you cannot do this with every cross-functional meeting. No, notice how it's so much work. It you is. need to really do this for like one big initiative every quarter and that's it. Okay. That makes sense. I think sometimes I struggle in this area of, let's say it's me over in sales is working on a project that needs to involve IT. And the language, of course, the initiatives, the goals of said departments are totally different and not unaligned, but there isn't necessarily, like nobody's really showcased how they are aligned. So of course, we already have the, the, the language barrier. We're both speaking English, but salespeople don't understand what IT is speaking and IT does not really understand where sales is getting. And that's more just context, I think, in general as well. So bridging that gap and being the mediator in those conversations, is there any advice, best practices you would give in those situations? Say, I can't meet with IT and sales head and both understand and collect this information and have a good kumbaya together to kick off the actual meeting? Yeah, I would say for me, Justin, it's hard to give a silver bullet answer here because you're asking sure. really good nuanced questions. Here's the only real silver bullet. That, and I might get better over time, so you never know. My answers will get better. But I would say for me, the big one is what's the key outcome of this presentation? Because for me, looking really good in front of an executive during a one-on-one -on -one feedback call, that outcome is very different than having a successful run with the client. And that outcome is really different from making my teams feel seen, heard, and understood at a networking event, at a Christmas party in a corporate setting. So all of those outcomes are different. So what you want to do as a general rule of thumb is you want to start by asking yourself, out of all of the outcomes that I'm working towards in the company, what are the main two or three that will either make my career within the company more successful or, and, or ideally it's both, create better results and success for the company in general? So the first key is to make a list of what are all the outcomes. And that you're going to find like 10, 50. One of them is like, okay, my supervisor asked me to do this. The second piece is like, oh, I need to organize this insurance meeting. Oh, the third thing is I need to do this. But then you need to look at where you want to be in the company and go, out of these 15, what are the two to three that will actually go, you need to move the deal? I'll give you a specific example so it's easier for people to understand. Please. Like at IBM, right? If you're in the IBM's consulting division, yeah, you could do great pro bono work. You know, you could work with the interns, do great work, and, and you'll stand out. You'll, you'll build a brand. But if you're not billing clients, you won't get promoted. 
Like it's pretty obvious. Like if you're not, if you're not billing clients, if you're not doing tech implementations, we will not pay you more money. You will never be an executive's company. And it's very obvious. Like it's very clear from the get-go. So yes, will I do some pro bono work? Will I give a little speaking engagement to impress people? Will I get some coffees? Yeah, absolutely. But my main focus is really client delivery because I know that's what gets me to the next side. And then when I'm in middle management, the priorities change from now you still have to do client delivery, but you actually need to move the needle on some initiatives that will make a big difference within the company or you won't become an executive. So the priorities change again. So you need to always keep that in mind as you're thinking about the next step in your career. And honestly, the easiest way to do this, which I'm sure you hammer the head on with these interviews, is reach out to people in your company who are three, four levels ahead of you and grab coffees with them to understand how they got to that level. And that's how you figure out your list of prioritization. And then you then figure out how to mediate. But honestly, the mediation is just, why is that important to you? Tell me more Mm -hmm. and just restating what they said. Okay, I think that makes total sense to me. Let's transition to presentations. So less of group meeting, everyone has a little bit of a participation to one to many. Like I am in charge of, let's say, maybe hosting an internal training session and or an external presentation, maybe a recap presentation to clients. First, let's talk on stage fright especially for those that maybe don't do a ton of one-to-many presentations. It could be in-person or remotely. You can let me know if there's some nuance between the two of them on this. But how do I overcome stage fright? I'm an account manager that maybe does this two or three times a year, and I am nervous as hell because I have to present in front of 50 people tomorrow. How do I get over that actual, the nervousness, the butterflies, the stage fright? Absolutely, Justin. So, So let me start with the frame. And the frame is extreme to the means. What does that mean? That means for me, my philosophy always, even in corporate, even in the boardroom, is do what's fun outside of the boardroom and what's harder outside of the boardroom so that the boardroom itself becomes a joke. That's always been my philosophy. It's never Hmm. like some deep breathing exercise that makes us calm. Like there's a reason why people who are 20 years older than me work with me. It's Mm -hmm. not because I overcame my stage fright. It's because I just did so much practice that they trust me with the transformation. So what does that now look like for everyone listening to this? What that looks like is to first understand the whole idea of stage fright, which I don't like in our culture. So let me challenge that a little bit. Let's think about this, Justin. Everything that we've accomplished in our life, let's list it. Asking somebody out on a date, getting into a relationship, potentially being married and having kids. I don't think this is your audience unless maybe a small percentage, getting a job, right? applying for that job, going to college, applying for college, starting a side hustle. Did any of the things that we're proud of, backpacking to a foreign country, did any of these accomplishments carry zero fear to them? And the answer is, and I can see you, right? Shaking your head, absolutely not. So why is it any different with communication? Why is it that we have this, this weird relationship with communication where Oh, if I have 1% fear, I shouldn't even be doing this at all. But the job interview, though, I'll still do it anyways, even if I'm scared out of my wits to do this. Why? Why is that? Because the motivation to actually get that result is far greater than doing it, than the fear that it is associated with. 
I'm scared to ask a girl out on a date, a boy out on a date. Why do I do it? Because I don't want to be alone my whole life. So that pain, that motivation brings me to do the things I don't want to do. The interviewing for a job, well, I don't want to be broke my whole life. Side hustles, well, I need extra income to take care of my family. That motivation exceeds the fear. So for me, the question is not how do we overcome stage fright? The question is rather, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Where do you find the motivation in your life that helps you exceed the fear that it is associated with? The last piece I'll mention on this, because I don't harp too much on this, is the boxing analogy. Let's pretend communication is a boxing match, Justin. Well, one side of the ring is the fear, the stress, the anxiety, the I don't want to do this, this sucks. And the other side of the ring is why it's important. Why does this matter? And the goal, my friend, is not to get the fear to leave the ring, but rather make sure that when the bell rings, that your message wins the match, that Mm. your message gets the knockout punch. And as long as the message is slightly more important than the fear, you can keep playing for the rest of your life. Let's go. I love the boxing analogy. (laughs) We're going to take a a, a quick left turn here real quick. And I want to ask you about your dating life right now as well. I've heard you mention it a couple of times over a course of interviews. So to challenge you on your stage fright, is, is this something that you realize the importance of finding a lifelong partner is way more important than the fear of rejection? Because honestly... Asking a girl out has a whole lot more significant impacts than just like bombing a, a presentation, at least in my own eyes. Maybe people would disagree with me on that. But God, man, that is a challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. You definitely took a left turn with that one, Justin. <laughs> here, here, here's what I'll say, right? I'm, I'm perpetually single, right? For, the, for those who don't, I've never been in a relationship my whole life. Never? I, never, not once. What and the I'm, heck? And I'm 26. But the point I want to drive, the point I want to drive, I want to make sure it's clear it's, yes, I have some fear of rejection, but trust me, it's not that. Because literally two years ago, I took a flight to go ask out a girl on a date. Like I'm, I, I could do it if I need to. I think for me, the biggest challenge with relationships, unless you want me to go further into this, is, is just the fact that if I look at everybody that I respect in my life, right, whether it's people I admire, like Lewis Howes, you know, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, these are people I want to be right? In my life, in my category, obviously, in communication. All of these guys had a lot of trouble with the relationships, even if they figured everything else out. So I think what what it reminded me of, of course, if I find the right person during that journey, I'll still figure it out. But I think for me, the big piece is this opportunity, the master talk, I can't get back. So as long as I focus for a few years and get that sorted, I could spend, and this is something my friends are challenging me on to make sure I do this, is when I hit a really strong financial result master, I actually have to close the business and just date. So we'll see how really? that goes. Yeah, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the constraints that I have right now. Ah, well, excited to, to see that. Maybe, maybe that's for your 30s, I guess, right? We'll see. Probably late 20s. I, I feel 30s is a, is a cop-out. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think and what everyone around me thinks. Oh, 30s a cop Because when I'm 30, I'll say, oh yeah, but I want to make $3 million a year this year. And I'll just keep making excuses. And, and, this, and I'm glad you took that left turn because I'm, I'm demonstrated indirectly that even Brendan's working on this. There's always areas that I'm not good at that I'm still working on. Like the first time we did this interview, what, episode 16? Like I was horrible. Yeah. I had pandemic here around. I had no idea what I was doing. And, I, and I'm still working on it. But I think the game is as long as we're constantly self-aware of our weaknesses, we don't need to fix them. I honestly think 80% of the battle 
is not even fixing what's wrong with us or what we think is wrong with us. It's just acknowledging that it's there. I think that alone just brings out the clarity that we need. And we only all have so much time in a day. So similar to kind of what you're saying here, I am consistently battling getting time for my girlfriend, Gabby, and building this business that I'm building as well. And it is freaking hard. And honestly, I told myself plenty of times, if Gabby, for some reason, wakes up one day and realizes I no longer want to be with Justin and she left me, I would probably go all in on the business just because that's what I'm excited about and what I'm leaning into right now. And also you're allowed to like, just change your mind. Like if tomorrow you woke up and you're like, ah, screw master talk. Like I really actually want to find the one. And you just decided to, to go all in on that for a little while. Who's to say that's the wrong decision. It's, it's your decision. Absolutely right, and 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 that's great. Like, and and I hope it works out with you and Gabby. I think that's the challenge, long term. I mean, obviously, it's working now. Yeah, but but I think the the game that that's why I've always been scared of relationships. Frankly, earlier in my life, and I still have to a certain extent. Yeah. is that like you're like in your mid twenties, and you're trying to find somebody to be with longer than you have been alive, with no other relationships in your life, and even with the one with your mother, is not going to last as long as supposedly this one needs to last. So it's a difficult thing to optimize for because it's easy to say when you're in your 20s and you're with somebody, oh yeah, this is going to be great. But we have no idea what your 25 is going to look like. So I mm-hmm. guess we'll see how it plays out. Mm. Well, I will no longer challenge you in, in the relationship aspect. And let's get back on track with this conversation as well. So we are talking about large group presentations, one to many here. And you just pretty much told me stage fright is BS. Just make sure that your mission, the message that you want to share, whenever the bell rings, will overpower whatever stage fright you have. And I've always found that to be true in all of these. I am sometimes a nervous wreck 10 minutes before a big presentation, and then you get into it, and you're hype, and you're ready, and you're excited. But let's talk a little bit more about the mechanics now of the presentation itself. Is there a way that you have found to set the tone in the meeting? And subsequently, how do you not be boring as well? Not lose people's attention very early on in the presentation? Right. And I think this is a good way to segue really quick into the personal story because I feel I'm just dropping knowledge, but I'm not, I just forgot the empathetic side here, which is, you know, for those of you who feel fearful around speaking or scared about it, trust me, I get it. You know, I'm the quintessential example of someone who has literally been frightened of communication his whole life. So, and the reason for that is threefold. One, I grew up in Montreal in Canada, which is the city where you need to know how to speak French. So my whole life, Justin, not only was I scared of speaking, I had to present in the language I didn't know. So when I was in the first it's grade. crazy. That's <laughs> so crazy. Like I'm six, I'm six or seven years old and I'm looking at the audience. I'm going, uh, bonjour. And the audience is looking at me like I'm the dumbest person on earth. So that's one. The second piece, I have a physical disability in my left arm, right? So whenever I speak, even today, people, not online, but in person, people always look at my arm. They don't look at my face when I present. And the third piece is you would think that a communication expert like me because remember, I started master when I was a kid. I started coaching when I was 19. I started making YouTube videos when I was 22. You would think, oh, this guy like went to the number one communication school in the world. Yeah, I studied in accounting and I graduated in accounting. So trust me when I say that if I could be a great speaker, I think anybody who's listening to this can be a great speaker. So that's the, that's the quick empathy point on that. In terms of presentations, though, here's what I'll say. There's a great exercise that we can do. If we just follow this simple exercise and we do nothing else from today's interview, I consider that a big one, which is called puzzle. So communication is like jigsaw puzzles, Justin. You know those little toy puzzles you used to play as a kid. 
But the question now becomes, when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? And the answer is the edges. And the reason the edges are the easiest ones is because they got the little edge side to them. You kind of look in the box, put them all together, work your way to the bed. So why am I bringing that up? Because in communication, when we prepare for a large presentation, we tend to do the opposite, unfortunately. So we start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content in our presentations. We get to the presentation and we ramble throughout the whole thing. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Yeah, so thanks. Not the right approach. (laughs) So instead, what you want to do is practice your next presentation like a jigsaw puzzle. Meaning, start with the edges. Do the introduction. Just the intro. The first two minutes of the speech. Nothing else. Like 10, 20 times. You know, it sounds like a big number doing it 10, 20 times. But honestly, it's only 30 minutes of practice because it's only two minutes. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. So same thing. 10, 20 times the close. And then practice the middle. But what's great about this is you build momentum quickly. Because most people, when they practice a corporate presentation, they got a big blurb of 30 minutes. They'll speak it twice. They won't see any improvement. Then they'll eat lunch and never practice again. That's what most people do. Whereas when you do it this way, you spend the first 30 minutes just doing the intro 20 times. And then you go, wow, this intro is really solid. And the people around you are going, wow, like, where did you come from? Like, that was so good. And now you feel a little bit of an ego boost in a good way. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm good at this. Then you get lunch, you come back, then you do the conclusion. And people go, wow, that conclusion is so good. And then you use that momentum to really crush your presentation. Mm. What about not being boring, too? I know setting the stage there with a strong introduction and a strong closure, but let's not lose people in between. Is there some advice that you could provide or maybe even stealing something that you really admire from someone like Scott Harris? Yeah, absolutely, brother. So the reason I didn't answer that right was because I didn't want to monologue for another 10 minutes. But <laughs> you can monologue all, all you want, man. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> sure. So, so the other piece, my sister doesn't, so there you go. But the, the, <laughs> the point with the middle is, there's a couple of components here. The first one is, what is the key idea? At the end of the day, what do you want people to take away from your conversation, your presentation? Because if you're not clear on that one key idea, then people will walk away with nothing. Like Simon Sinek's TED Talk is a great example of this. He repeats the same sentence over and over again. People Mm -hmm. don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So because of that, it just gets etched into your mind. Or if people don't remember that, they remember these three words. Start with why. Yeah. He coined that term essentially, and that's what he's remembered for. Whereas if we're not clear, even in a corporate meeting, because people are thinking, I'm not Simon Sinek, you don't need to be. But in corporate, if people don't know what your key idea is, like, what are you actually driving here, Brendan? What do you actually want to get people to do at the end of your meeting? People will walk away with nothing. So it's important to get clear. And I'll give you my punchline. What's my key idea for every podcast conversation I have? It's very simple. To inspire people to think that communication is easy enough to start practicing. That's it. That's it. That's why I purposefully prioritize information on a podcast if somebody doesn't know me in a way where people sit and go, that's actually not too bad. Oh, that's not so hard. Oh, okay. Pyramids versus circles. I could do that. Oh, maybe I can implement the pyramid thing perfectly, but I could remember mentally to go, don't speak in circles. That's simple. But I do it so many times in the interview that people are eventually convinced 
that communication eventually is a joke. So I'll start practicing. So getting clear on that key idea, which I wasn't clear on the first time we did this interview because I didn't know what a key idea was back then. I was able to now really focalize my, my ideas and my thoughts in a way that drives the point home. Figure out what your key idea is. And the best way to do that is literally to just write 10 or 15 of them. Just write a bunch of them. Get people around you to write, like cross-functional. You can have them, hey, what do you think is the main idea here? Write a bunch of them down and just circle your favorite one. Mm. The next layer to that is three to defend. Three to defend just means in a simple way, what are the three main ideas that you're going to share that helps you defend the main thesis? And this could be a wide range of tools. And there's hundreds of them. Stories, humor, analogy, quotes, statistics. Just pick your favorite tool. But the idea here, Justin, is to try as many of them as possible. Let's go back to my example again. If my key idea is to convince people that they can be great speakers, I've tried so many different things to drive the point home. But there's generally three ideas that drive the point home the most based on the feedback that I've had with podcast hosts. That's why I've done so many interviews, by the way. It's because I always learn something from the host and I pull that and I put it in my pocket, right? And then through that accumulation of data, I'm now able to say, these are the three reasons confidently that get somebody to believe that they could be a great speaker. And that ended up being for me, one, practical ideas on communication that are so simple that a five-year-old could do. The random word exercise that we'll talk about later today, the question drill, the video message, simple ideas. Second, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Getting people to hope and inspire around speaking instead of being fearful of it. And then the third piece is my own personal story. I sucked at communication my whole life. I'm a dunce. If I could do this, anyone could do this. So that helps me drive my point. But when you're building a presentation the first time, you won't know what those things are. So what you need to do to not be boring is you actually need to try a bunch of things and go, hmm, this doesn't work. This works. This doesn't work. This works. That's why my recommendation for anyone in corporate is to actually present something outside of corporate. So let's say I was coaching you, Justin, so it's clear. You're someone who has a corporate job, but you also have this great podcast in business. So my advice is always, you should make a presentation on your podcast. So when you go to a university, you go to a college, and you're being a panelist, let's say, and you're talking about your show, or you give me a presentation about why you started it, why this is so important to you, you're incentivized to do it because it's fun for you. And it's a repeatable process because your podcast won't change. So for somebody listening to this podcast, it might not be being a host like Justin, but is it a side hustle that you're building? Is it a nonprofit? You like volunteering with kids on leadership training. And when you have that repeatable presentation, you can experiment different ideas faster, get results faster, and eventually not be boring. And that's really the secret. Freaking wicked. I like that. We should create a resource on the, the three to defend. It sounds like there was a couple of different personal stories, statistics. What else did you say there was? That, see, I always get an idea from the host. I never thought of doing that. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Because I usually just ramble all the stuff that comes off. So, so there's a couple of tools here. But I think the reason why I've never gone into details, it's because people should hear me nerd out over how seriously I take my key idea. The reason I actually don't do that, though I'll repeat myself anyways, just for your audience, is because the more tools I mention, the less people believe they can master communication. Definitely. Right? So that's why I don't go, stories, this, this, this. And I go 18 people go, oh my God. Fair. Communication is so complicated. So I think that's why I've never done it. 
But you're right. So it's analogies, it's stories, it's quotes, it's metaphors, it's statistics, it's personal stories, it's numbers, it's anecdotes, right? It's stories of other people. So I think the key here, and I have to make a database on this, but the lesson for people is not to do all of it or Mm -hmm. humor or sarcasm, but rather say, which one of these do I like the most? Right? Like me, I'm naturally funny. So I'm going to like humor. So I, I say a joke every time that's going to come up later in the show, because like, literally it always does. <laughs> and it makes people laugh. So I do it. Other people like sarcasm better. Other people like numbers. They're really analytical. Did you know that 97% of people, I hate numbers, even if I'm an accountant by trade. So I'll never mention the numbers around the fear of communication. But the key here is really pick the ideas and stories that excite you and then do the mandatory stuff that corporate requires you to do. But start with the exciting piece first. That makes sense. I actually do that a lot. It, it, it's fun I mean, now doing 120 plus interviews. Everyone has a little bit different style of communicating, conveying. And for me, when I'm, for, I'm researching a guest, I have to kind of figure out like, what are they best at? Like, are they good tacticians? Are they really good at explaining and giving some kind of logical sequence on, on how you can execute? Sometimes, other times, people are just really good storytellers. And then they have this great learning lesson hook at the end of their story. While some are just like these like numbers-focused, analytical, statistic, they'll just bring in case studies or they might be scientists or practitioners in their field and they kind of understand all of that. So it's kind of fun to, to actually do the research and get to figure some of those out. I don't know if I necessarily looked at it as black and white as these are ways you can defend your core idea, more so just this is what they're best at. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then the other caveat I'll, I'll mention on top of what you said, because you summarized that well, is for you to be a pro speaker, you eventually dabble in all of them, right? So you can play. So for example, with me, I'm a really good tactician, right? That's my game. Like somebody asked me a question, I'll know the answer. But notice how I paused the interview shortly earlier, just because this helps people with context, where I was like, hey, let me jump in and just tell my personal story. Because mm-hmm. I forget doing that all the time. So people don't feel a sense of connection towards me. They just go, wow, Brendan's really good. But they end up going, oh, like he's a great speaker, but I don't think I could be as good as he might have been born with this. So I actually had to change my talk track to then make sure that I include those pieces. So yeah, I'm still getting better too. Absolutely. So as we're winding down the conversation, let's talk about one-on-one. It's you and I, maybe it's your manager, you connect with your manager or another team leader that you might be doing some kind of routine interaction with, or it could be a client presentation just with one other person. This could apply to a work scenario or maybe even just building new friends or whatever. How do you carry a conversation? Let's say we're waiting for people to join this meeting. You and I are here for 10 minutes and we're staring at each other. (laughs) Is there an easy way for me to, to have an engaging conversation with you if I'm someone that's kind of always nervous about that? For sure, Justin. There's so many different ways we can tackle this. So (laughs) let me start with this. I'm a big believer, like my main theme today, is it's always about doing what's most fun. Because if we do these things that are boring right away, we won't want to keep working on this skill. Yeah. So my answer to networking always, yes, we need it. We need to figure out how to do the conversation with our teammate at work. And I'm sure they're great. A lot of times they aren't great either. But, you know, we we have to figure out the balance. So for me, where it starts with is the value list. So the value list is a strategy I teach clients, but that allows them to network without ever leaving their homes in a way that's super awesome. So here's what you do. You make a list of the top five coolest people in your network. 
These are people that you already have a relationship with. You're tight as nails with. You either went to school with them, you've known them for many years, you, you get along with them really well. Right? Like we get along with each other well. Right? So that's just an example. Sometimes the vibe is there, sometimes it's not. You just got to live life. Life is a numbers game. Right? We can't date everybody. We can't be friends with everybody. That's life. Okay? <laughs> like, and, and the reason for that is because, let's say we live, we're 20s right now, everyone listening to this on average. So if you live 60 more years, 50 more years, and you only meet 100 new people every year, you only get to talk to 5,000 people. And that's what I feel a lot of people don't get. Out of billions of people, you could only shake 5,000 hands before you leave this place. So who do you want those 5,000 people to be? So for me, it's all about getting to those people. So like when, when we had a conversation, you're like, hey, I think we should do part two. I was like, absolutely, we should do part two because you're definitely those 5,000 people, Justin. Right? So, so that's the key, right? Is figure out the people that you like. But now the question becomes, how do you find them? So let's go back to this value list. The top five people who really pour into you already in your life. Those people, the question now becomes, what have we done for them lately? How have we supported them on their journey? How have we helped them grow? How have we helped them get to the next level? And then there's a couple of ways you could do that, right? One way is introduce them all to each other. There's so few people who do this. Top five people in your network, ask them if they all want to know each other. Easy. I have like a little Facebook chat on my messenger with my top five people. They're all in the group. They all know each other. So it's just an easy value add, costs no money. That's one. Another way is to sit them down for 45 minutes, one-on-one, and just ask them about their goals. What's important to them? And just ask them questions. You have to coach them. Just give them a space. Send them video messages. Just tell them how grateful you are to have them in your life. And then the most important piece, after you've added value to them, just go, who do you know in your network that I should talk to? Who are the best people in your network? And that's how you network. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's one piece. The other piece that people can copy-paste with those conversations, because then you'll get better in corporate after, which I think is more boring, is make a list of questions that you wished other people asked you and just ask that to other people. So if you ever met me in person, I'm not the guy you ask about the weather. I don't care. Just look outside. That's what the weather is. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. Whereas I want to know what your passions are. I want to know what your dreams are. I don't know what's holding you back. What's, what's a challenge? Like when you asked about my dating life, I didn't, I didn't skip. I, I'm not going to say at the end, hey, you should cut that out. No, I was like, hey, thanks for mentioning. That's cool. Yeah, I suck at that. I need to get better. Right? Like <laughs> I, love the, I love these conversations. I love the openness, the transparency. So I just asked that. But what's nice about conversations, Justin, is most people are lazy. So if you ask somebody, hey, what are you passionate about? And they answer, they'll always go, what about you? So you literally just get to answer your own questions, which I think is a gift. Yeah, that, that's a great way if you... Want to be asked that more, just ask it. And everybody always reflects the question back. Literally everybody. Brennan, let's wind down this conversation with one other practical takeaway practice thing that someone can do. Say, we got a lot of good frameworks around how to have more effective communication at work, but I just want to start practicing and be becoming a better communicator in general. So can you tell me a little bit about the 80-20 questions and how this could be applied to your daily life to start practicing your communication? For sure. That, that's more for life, but I'm happy to, to jump in with that, Justin. So, so what is 80-20 questions? 80-20 questions is going back to the quote around Tony Robbins, who says, the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you dare to ask yourself about life. So one day I had the idea behind the 80-20 questions because a lot of the reason why I became successful in life, and I still have a lot to go, but I guess relatively early, is because 
I asked myself really difficult questions, which helped me push the analogy a little bit further. Going back to the 80-20 principle, right? What are 20% of the, the actions that drive 80% of the result? So I flipped that a little bit. I said, like, what are 20% of the questions that drive 80% of one's clarity mm. in life? So that's why I call them 80-20 questions. This is still a work in progress. I'll probably write like a full list towards the end of my life when I have more credibility. But I'll give you three of them for your audience. And if you want me to give more, I can. But I'll give you three for now. Number one, if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? A lot of us are optimizing for a magical number, 65, right? We're all optimizing it because the government tells us to optimize. So, and soon it's going to be 67 and 69. And they're choosing that number for us. But the challenge is, what if you die at 50? Like Steve Jobs died in his 50s. He had all the money in the world, billions and billions. He had the best doctors, and he didn't make it past 55. I think he died like 52 or something. Kobe Bryant, hundreds of millions of dollars, died in his 40s in a helicopter crash. So there's no guarantee that all of us, actually statistically, let me paint the nail on this. Some of us listening to this podcast won't even make it to 65. Pretty much guarantee. So that pushes us to then reflect on what should we do with our time. And that's the first piece. Because a lot of us just answer travel. Then I always challenge them, travel for how long? Five years? Then what? And I realized, by the way, I'm not going to blab too much of my own answers here, but just to make it really quick, I realized in my life, the biggest mistake I made in my 20s is that I thought money was more important than time, which is fair because I didn't have a lot of money. When I started making 70, 80 grand a year and I was providing for my family and I was living with my mom and I was paying down the mortgage, I realized 70, 80K is fine. Like I can make an extra 50K, but it's not worth doubling my work output to make an extra 50K. So time is more valuable and that question helped me. That's one. Second question is, if you could only accomplish three things in your life and only three things, nothing else, what would you want to accomplish and why? This is called the focus question helps you really focus on what actually matters to you. Like for me, I don't really care that much if I don't visit 50 countries. I don't really care that much if I don't go skiing in Dubai. Like I don't care. But not seeing Master Talk work would be a big regret of my life. So that's one of those things. So figure out what matters to you. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks of your answer. What matters is that you're happy and satisfied with the answers you come up with. And it took me three years to find the answers to the question. So don't expect it to, to be perfect. Write a draft, rework the draft. And number three that I got from one of my mentors, Devon Bandison, he says this. He says, what's a goal or a dream that you secretly gave up on and never told anyone about? So just reflect on these questions. It's a good one. I like the very last one. Brennan, if people want to connect with you, you got this amazing YouTube channel out there called Master Talk. I saw it just in infancy. I swear, I think when we connected, it was probably like a thousand. around a thousand subscribers yeah, and you're at at least five digits somewhere in there, last I checked. So can you tell us a little bit about Master Talk, what people can find if they go and check out that channel? Absolutely, Justin. This is such a treat, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for believing me when, when no one else did. So, so two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel, Master Talk. So you have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch is to come to one of my free communication workshops. So I do a free training on communication over Zoom. Every two weeks, it's live, it's fun, it's interactive. Eight-year-olds come to that call. 55-year-olds come to that call. Everyone's invited. So if you want to jump on that, go to rockstarcommunicator.com and just register for the next one. Sweet. And we'll have that all in the show notes too if you want to check it out. 
Brennan, final question for you. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? On communication or just anything in general? I guess anything in general. Maybe I should have you stay away from communication. I'm very curious to see what else you'd want to teach. For sure, Justin. Happy to. Because the, the communication course would be really It's an obvious. Fast, <laughs> right? It, it, won't, it won't have any theory. I'll just wake up. Everyone's going to 90 minutes and everyone's just going to talk. Every yes. Single. And it's going to be intense. And people are going <laughs> to drop out of the class. But the people who <laughs> make it to the end are going to be exceptional at speaking. That's what the communication looks like. Life, what I have people do is I would force everyone in the class to ask, reflect, and share the answers to 100 of these 80-20 questions. That's what I would primarily focus the, the class on. That's probably one piece. Let me give you three pillars to make this more interesting sure. of an answer. So that's one thing that I would focus them to do. Forcing them every day. They just, every class, they just have to answer all these questions. That's all. And then they have to share and give a presentation with those answers. And there's no grade in the class. That's what. The second thing that I would have them do is I would have them goal set. What are your next goals that you want to achieve? But more specifically, why are those goals important to you? So having them journal. Why is this important to them? Why is that important? So I'd have them do vivid visioning, which is a concept that Cameron Harold talked about, where you create images, you start to imagine a bigger life for yourself. That's the second thing. And there was a third thing, but I forgot. I think it was either the funeral speech, I'd make them write a funeral speech <laughs> but after they're dead. I'd love for you to be the teacher of like pushing them outside their comfort zone too. And of course, like you all go to a karaoke bar or something that night too. And like you press play and they got to play whatever song. And then on the, the most ambitious or confident person in the classroom, you press play and it's like a Spanish song that they got to sing in. And they're like English native. And, they're like, yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're all like, what the heck? We can't do that. And then you get up there and you, you do your, your eight language karaoke routine. That would be sick. <laughs> I would love that. You know, it's funny. I don't think I would, I would be a good teacher of pushing out of my comfort zone. I don't actually think I'm that good at it. Funny enough. Because the things that sound really unconventional to other people, they come very natural to me, right? So like the karaoke thing isn't really a stretch out of my comfort zone. Sure. Versus like, let's say like skydiving. Oh my God, just thinking of that scares the bejeebies. You wouldn't do it? I wouldn't do it. Oh my God. <laughs> I, might, I might change my, I'm sure one of my coaches will force me to do it eventually. But yeah, like I'm so, super scared of heights. So I don't think I'm the perfect teacher for that. But I'm definitely the guy who's going to like force you into the darkness of your life and make you ask really hard questions, create a light, like the goals. Oh, and then the other thing, I just remember the third thing. The third thing is every week I would force the students to remove something in their life, right? To remove What's something. your thoughts around that? So the, the thought is have them remove something that's not serving them. So that could be a oh. friend. That's about, that could be a thing in their house that they should have put in the garbage a long time ago. Just something simple. One thing I want to write towards the end of my life is a book called The Optimizer. What is the game theory optimal way of living one's life? What is the right sequence based on the data? That's kind of thing, a, a hobby project that I want. No one's going to buy the book now because I have no credibility now, but later in life, that's what I want to write. And part of, that, part of that book in my mind right now is not about being perfect or learning how to run marathons, but rather creating small optimal changes in life that you barely notice that drive massive outcome. So I'll give you an example. Like one of those is five times a week, I just eat an avocado. So people always ask me like, do you eat this with salad? Do you like me to avocado? So I was like, no, literally my mom cuts an avocado, 
and I shove it in my mouth. That's it. <laughs> I just eat an avocado because I know it's good for you. That's it. So there's no prep. I just do that. But it makes me feel so good. And I hate avocados. I don't even like what they what? taste like. I don't like the taste. There's so many other superfoods that you could choose, but you just... <laughs> it's, you, know why? you know why? Because I've listened to so many bloody health experts and everyone disagrees with each other. What, one person is going, you shouldn't eat blueberries. Gary Vee's like, you need to eat blueberries even if he's not a health expert. Like, it's like, wait, like, fruit's good or bad for you? Like, we don't even know anymore. <laughs> but nobody contradicts the avocado. That's the yeah. only insight I've got. So <laughs> anyways, the point is, is every week if somebody just removed a friend that was bothering them, for me, it was replacing my coffees with hot water. And you just did a little bit of that. It's eating pistachios that are unsalted after lunch. If you just do a little bit of that every day, your life will improve exponentially. Folks, Brennan Kumasari, founder of Master Talk. You can check him out on YouTube. Brennan, man, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming in around too. Likewise, it's so much fun. That was such a fun conversation with Brennan. He's been a friend of mine for three plus years, ever since our very first podcast interview. And once again, that is episode 16. If you want to check it out, fair warning, it was episode 16. We've definitely leveled up production. I've become a much better host, but honestly, I really enjoy listening to some of those early episodes too. It really brings me back to that time and place. And there's still a lot of really great nuggets and tangible advice in those early conversations as well. I really enjoyed his discussion around the pyramids versus circles framework. I actually applied that into a work conversation today and it went really well. But yeah, he had a he had a lot of great things. I liked that, the 80-20 questions, the three to defend, uh, how to overcome stage fright. Man, Brennan's got just a wealth of knowledge and I had a blast getting to have a round two conversation with him. Thanks for tuning into this conversation and I will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together. Mm-hmm.